When kids just won't listen, parents often feel stuck between two choices, to give in or get angry. It's exhausting. We give you the top techniques directly from the experts, helping you on your path to a more peaceful, respectful, and joyful life with your kids. For you today, Kristen Taprell is our guest. She is a psychologist from Australia, and she has worked with children and families for 20 years. She's implementing social and emotional learning programs in primary schools, and she authored a children's book about coping with nightmares, which will be released this year. There's a lot to learn from her. Um, in this conversation, we talked about understanding a child's brain development. We talked about valuing kids' feelings as people like the rest of us, um, co-regulating with kids during tantrums, very useful information. And I learned a new trick to help calm down a child. We also talked about using rewards charts effectively and got into that conversation about rewards and punishments. This is great information to have. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kristen Tapperl as much as I did. Here we go. Kristen Tapperl, right? Yes. Welcome to the show. <laughs> thanks, James. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, let's get on into the questions. My, my first okay. and favorite is, what is it that you love most about working with kids? Oh, what do I love? So many things. I've, I've always worked with children. I don't, actually never thought that I would work with kids, but as when I started, I just love it so much. I love um, that it's so unpredictable and you have to be creative and um, so much fun. And I also love that uh, you can see change in kids quite quickly and as they grow and develop and mature, you can see the, uh, them changing and being able to develop as well. So it's always fun. Yeah, and this might be an overlapping question, but what would you say is the main thing that you've learned from working with them? Uh, well, look, a lot has changed in the last 20 years of working with kids. Um, when I first started, it was very much um, children's behaviour needed to be controlled and you just needed to be firm and consistent and these kids would get into line. Um, I, and I think what I've learned over the years is that um, kids, kids are people then they're not people in progress. We don't, we shouldn't be trying to just direct them to be good adults. They're already people. They already have feelings. They already um, should be validated and respected. And I think what I've also learned is that um, we as adults sometimes have expectations on children that is much higher than we have on ourselves. So... You know, we all have bad days. We all have something go wrong and snap at someone else. But if a child does that, then they're sent to time out or they're, 
they're punished for being human, which is just not fair. So I think that something that has changed for me is is seeing kids as being just like all of us and that there's always a reason for behaviour and there's, a, there's always an unmet need or something going on and that's what we need to be looking for. Right. So you've worked with kids in a lot of different environments, public and private, mm-hmm. and right yeah. now you are... Um, back in a public environment and you're working, you described it as social and emotional work that you were doing in primary school. Yeah. So it's a social. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. A social emotional learning program that we implement in a primary school for 12 months. So um, as part of that, we screen, we focus on kindergarten year one and year two. And we screen to see if there's any difficulties. So it could be emotions, it could be pro-social difficulties, it could be um, behavioural problems. And so then we um, assess those kids. We see their parents, we see the child and offer some support and some help there. Um, We also then, in that 12 months, will have run a group program that's for the child and the parent and they come in weekly and we work with the child and the parent. Um, and then when that's finished, we just stay in the school and we offer support to teachers and um, continue to offer support to those children and their parents for the 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe the demographic a little bit for the uh, American audience here? Um is this in a big city? Are these uh, kids middle class? So what's the what's the demographic? So I live in a, a rural area um, of New South Wales in Australia. So these it's a farming area. Um, so I've, the town that I live in, you know, not everyone is from a farm, but there are lots of kids that are from a farm. So. Um, Yes, yeah, so it's, it is a rural community, not a big city. We don't have a lot of services. There's not a lot of places to refer these kids to. Um, sometimes if they need a, extra support, um, they may, like medical services, they may need to travel two hours to get to the closest <laughs> um, service there. So we sort of have to do a bit of everything. Is the rural population... Um... Are they lower on the socioeconomic rung than the city folks? Um, it's a well, it's a it's an unusual place to live because there are some uh, that are actually really very well off, um, but there is also the other end of the spectrum as well. So we we have a, a good range. And you said that you were you trying to catch kids in kindergarten. Year one and year two. Yeah. Why those ages? Well, the program is an early intervention program. So the idea is that we get in early. And if we're able to help and put some services into place or give some strategies early on, then hopefully they're not going to have the same difficulties later on, that it's not going to develop. So we're trying to catch things before they get too big, basically. Yeah. And sorry for the kind of lay, layman questions, but are these 
are you catching, um, you know, something that would be a diagnostic, uh, you know, disability or are you, yeah. are you available for kids who are just having a tough time? Are they also, um, yeah, they're also, yes, they're all of that. So we do, it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, program because we're picking up kids that, you know, they may just need to see a speech therapist. They've no one's maybe thought that they could have a receptive language disorder or they, they could, we do see kids that are possibly on the autistic spectrum, so we refer them to reassess further. Um, so there is that. And definitely you see the kids that will probably have ADHD. Um, so that does come up. But we also are seeing the kids that um, just having a, just struggling a little bit with some friendships or just struggling um, a little bit with being able to manage their emotions or it comes up that there's some difficulties at home and so we can sort of help that once that comes up. So both both is the diagnostic and the, the ones that we can refer on, but the good thing is that we stay in the school for 12 months. So we, even the ones that are just having a little bit of a rough time, we're there to help guide them through as well. That's nice to hear. I sometimes worry that all the resources are, are only being focused on the on the very you know, the outliers are, are yeah. it's, it's nice to know that at least they're, they're services for all kinds of Yeah, yeah. Struggles. And, well, we know that these, these kids that are maybe just having a few struggles early on, if we don't do anything about it, it will probably turn into something that, that is more difficult and going to need more services. So if we can get in early, hopefully that won't happen. Are you are you in the classroom with the kids or are you? I can be. So yeah, I just stay at the school. So I do do classroom observations, um, and I can help the teachers with some strategies as well. Um, or I can take the kids out and do something with them as well. Well, let's talk about some of those strategies for those. Mm-hmm those ages kindergarten first grade second grade that's what are the what are the main challenges that you find with the average kid let's say yeah yeah look i think one of the biggest issues with uh, most kids and what is seen as behavioral problems or not listening or not doing if they're, they're told is that nobody thinks to ask the child why um and there's usually a reason. You know, kids don't don't just want to muck up for the sake of it. They're not just out to annoy you. You know, no, no kid wakes up in the morning going, now how can I just destroy their day today? It's, you know, there's something that's, that's happened. There's a reason for it. Um, I, can, I can think of an example of a kid that I worked with and we worked with the parents as well and the mother was so frustrated that it was an eight-year-old boy he wouldn't have a shower. He wouldn't go and have a shower when, and she would just be constantly asking him to go have a shower. He'd still be playing his video games. Um, it would get to the point where she would be yelling and then wait till Dad gets home and then Dad would literally pick him up and th- put him in the shower. Uh, and no one had thought to ask him why. So when I was talking to him, so, so what's the issue? What, what's the problem with having a shower? 
And it was because they made him have a shower with his younger brother and he was eight. He was starting to want a bit of privacy and his brother would annoy him and he just didn't want to be in there with his brother. So no one had stopped to say, okay, why Why is this a problem? <laughs> why can't? And as soon as we could say, all right, okay, so that's the issue. So what can we do about that? What, what do you think we could do? And then set up a time. Now, I'm not saying that he did had a shower perfectly every night, but at least there was something that you could talk to him about and there was a way that you could problem solve with him on what to do. When you when you gathered that information from the kid, was that were the parents in the room too getting that information or are you are you now they, they weren't at the time it was it was in our group program and and mum would normally have been there but she she wasn't there that day but we did then get her involved and tell her this is what's happening got him to say this is why I don't like having the shower um, and and we were able to work that out um, but you know that's not that was not the only thing that happened like we had to. Once she could understand his feelings, we had to really change mum's mindset as well because it was just I've asked him to go have a shower, he needs to just go and have it. Right. Yeah, which, you know, that's that would be lovely. But, you know, like I said before, the people too. It's not just do as you told you. There's reasons for behaviour. So, um, yeah, so getting him to stop and, and explain why getting mum to understand his feelings and she needed to see things from his perspective as well before she could change and and be a bit more flexible okay so how about we change it so that you have your shower at this time and he has it at this time instead of everyone just rushing through at the same time well, that sounds uh like a really like quite a challenge to as you say to change mom's mindset and mm. This this show isn't uh, explicitly designed to talk about that, um, but I'm, I'm picturing I'm picturing you getting that information from the child in five minutes. Um, that that's why he doesn't want to have the shower. And I'm wondering. I mean, I'm that's, I'm just making that up. I don't know how long you sat and, and talked with him about that. But to change the patterns of a parent, to change how the how things go in a home. Uh, yeah, and it, and it took a little bit more than that too because he'd also gotten used to playing his video games much longer than he needed to have now. <laughs> so then then there is sort of you, you do still, if it's, I, I think if we first get the kids, if we explain our situation first, we need you to have a shower and then, and then ask them, why is this difficult for you? What's going on? I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? And we got his perspective. Then try and get each other to understand. Okay, so I understand that this is really embarrassing for you when he's there. Um, it must be really frustrating. Okay, um, can you understand that I need you to have a shower because we need everybody needs to have showers, so it's frustrating for me when you won't. You know, so everybody's understanding how, where everyone is and then problem solve together. That's your start, but that's, that's your ideal. But, you know, he then, he was good for a little while and then, hang on a sec, 
I used to play video games for a lot longer than this and be have a shower. So I mean, then you do need to add some some logical sort of consequences as well. So with things like, um, you know, we need everyone to have had showers and be clean before we sit down and eat dinner. If you're not going to do that in time, then you're not going to be at the dinner table when we're eating dinner. That's, you know, so that was just a logical consequence for him and eventually he said, okay, maybe if I go have a shower, <laughs> I'll be able to have dinner with everybody and still get to go on the video games another time. Yeah, you know, you started with the kind of ever-important ever step of asking the child what's going on with them and, and why there's a problem. Um, yeah. Rather than, I think a lot of us, feel like because if we don't understand you know the child's mind that 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 we need to learn a lot or figure out a lot or read a bunch of books to to understand you know child psychology uh to to crack the code and um that's that's a great place to start is just ask the child maybe just ask them (laughs) you know that usually will tell you i think um for adults sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense so so there is an understanding that just because that doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to them and you know just because that's not important to me doesn't mean that's not important to them so it's valuing their feeling uh, sorry it's valuing their feelings um even though they don't they're not our values. So, I mean, I could give an example of a younger child. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, say a, a really young child, say two or three. Now, if you, if there were two kids that were in that age and you gave one of them a biscuit and the other one a broken biscuit, still uh-huh. two halves. Yes. Yeah. What's going to happen? That the broken the child with the broken brisket is going to be just overwhelmed with emotion and while the, while the other one says hey how come he got two yeah that's right that's right <laughs> so i mean and that's where <clears throat> there is some understanding about brain development that you need to take into consideration so the first part of our brain that development develops is the primitive part. So that's the fight, flight, freeze part of the brain. The next part that's developing is the emotional part of the brain, the limbic brain, which is where, you know, your two- and three-year-olds live in most of the time. And then there's your frontal cortex, which is your problem-solving, your logical brain. Now, kids, kids, no matter what age, will go in between all of those, also will adults, but children um, and sometimes you have to meet them where they're at so if they're in their limbic brain where they're just overcome with emotion they're you know on the floor screaming crying well you're not going to be able to problem solve with them about what they're going to do so no matter what age that's not the time (laughs) and that's not safe but it's also understanding so for a two or three year old they've got a broken biscuit that's not fair for them (laughs) They can't see that that needed, that is the same, that's the same amount. So in that situation, all you can do is try and co-regulate with that kid, try and help them to calm by you being calm. A good little trick is um, if you've got a kid who's sort of really having a meltdown, 
is just putting your hand on their diaphragm. If you if you put your hand on their, their diaphragm, they automatically will start to breathe from their diaphragm. So it helps them to slow down. Oh, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna pause you there. Um, okay, so co-regulate. First time we've heard that one on the show. So oh, okay. co-regulating, you're saying means that if the child is, let's say, having a tantrum, kicking and screaming, that mm. that you're saying that by the adult um, showing calm, that that yeah. that that will could help the child. It does. Okay. Regulate. So they can't regulate themselves. So the whole idea of just leave them, they'll be right, you know, self-soothing, um, doesn't really work. It just leaves them in distress and they're not able to calm themselves. They need you to help calm. Now, obviously, if you are worked up yourself, that's not great. You might need to go for a few minutes and calm as much as you can. But it's amazing if you have a young child who is absolutely in complete meltdown, if you say, would you like a hug? More often than not, they do want a hug. <laughs> Sometimes they'll scream and say no, and that's okay. They're allowed to say no. Um, you don't have to force a hug on them. But um, they're, they're distressed. They're, they're struggling. They need some help. So it doesn't mean that you're um, reinforcing behaviour. It just means you're helping them to calm. So then you can talk about what's happened. And what needs so even with a two or three year old with a broken biscuit, when they're calm, you can try to talk to them about it afterward, but not when they're in a meltdown. <laughs> right. And then you mentioned the hand on the diaphragm. Mm. Yeah, so, it's a good little trick. So help me out here. <laughs> help me out here. Help me find my diaphragm here so I can uh, so, so I can figure out how this works. So if you follow your ribs up to where they meet, if you put your hand just below there, that's your diaphragm. If you put your hand on there, you automatically start to breathe from your diaphragm. So breathing techniques are fabulous. They absolutely are wonderful and I use them all the time. But if a child is in a meltdown, unlikely that you're going to get them to do box breathing or any other type of breathing technique. But if you just put your hand on their diaphragm, you will start to breathe from there. So it's not gonna, it's not a magic wand. It's not going to happen instantly. But as they slowly start to breathe, that will help them calm. Right. Good. It's good to have those uh, those tips and tricks that you know people people just might not ever really think about or figure out on their own. They've, and then when they see it, when they see someone else doing it, it's it does feel like a magic wand. I'm going to go ahead and, and just kind of see if I can summarize some of the, some of the stuff you've been telling me here. Um, cool. Important to ask the child um, what's going on with them. Then, then you talked about sitting down and, and explaining, explaining what you need as the adult and also having them explain what they need and trying to get to kind of a mutual understanding there. Mm-hmm. And... Yep. That can be done with, with kids younger than eight also, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You just need to change your language. So you, even younger, quite young children, you can explain 
that I need you to do this. This has to be done. When you don't do this, <laughs> you know, mum feels like this or... Um, and you can ask children why they don't want to do it. And when they're young, it's, it's going to be because they just don't want to. <laughs> okay. But we need to do it. So what do you think we can do? It's never, it's never too young to start asking the questions, to try and get them to problem solve a little bit. If they're not going to be able to do it all the time, and that's what parents are for, you know, okay. So maybe we could try this or maybe we could try this how would that be um giving kids some sort of control in the situation is always going to help if if we're just telling kids to have to do things this way all the time you're going to butt heads because <laughs> no one likes to be told what to do all the time without any sort of control or flexibility so if there's something that you, your child needs to to do okay so I need you to do this do you want to do it this time or this time like do you want to do it before we do this or after this or you know we're going to do this then you have to do this so that they know what's happening that they know what it's expected but also that you give them a little bit of control okay so I can choose when I'm going to do this and you're more likely to get them to do it if they feel that they've had some control nice and then the logical consequences if, if all that fails and if we all else fails yeah and we yeah. have covered that uh, a good deal on this on this uh show um i want to get to some questions about about your specific expertise especially um because you've been in the field is there some advice that you hear out there that you think people should be wary of and should not follow uh, yeah, look, and like I said, things have changed a lot over the years. So um, there's very much time out and the naughty corner and the naughty spots and, you know, that kind of thing. It, it really, any any punishment that you're going to use that um, causes disconnection with the parent or it's not going to work. It's not going to work long term. It might work for that period but it's not going to work long term so it, it putting a child in <clears throat> excuse me in time out um it, it's it's almost saying like okay your behavior is not acceptable so it's my love is conditional on that so you can't be around me when you do um and that's not a message we want to give kids i i stay away from time out as much as possible um Look, I have worked with kids that are, have become very violent. Obviously, you're not going to... They need some space to calm, um, to keep everyone safe. But <clears throat> but in general, for most kids, timeout's not the great a great option. You can do time in um, where you sit with the child for, for a time and, and help them calm. Um, the parents can take time out if they need to, and that's probably a really good thing to do. So if a parent is feeling that they're incredibly frustrated, they're not going to handle this situation well, it's just going to end in yelling and probably say doing things you don't want to do, well, let the parent take time out. That's absolutely fine and come back when, they, when they're calm and able to do it. Um, another one that I probably would, and I would steer people away from, but I'm not saying that 
never use it, uh, other rewards charts. So they they can be they can be good, but they have to be done well, and I just don't think they usually are. So if you're going to do a rewards chart, it really needs to be on one behaviour. It needs to be something very specific. Um, you need to make sure that if a child has earned a sticker, you don't take that sticker away. And I hear that so often that, you know, they were naughty so I took all their stickers off. Well, that's not fair. They earned those stickers. So, I mean, as, as adults, you don't go to work and work really hard all day and then slack off for the last half an hour and not get paid. Like we still get paid even if we had a bit of a rough time in the last part of the day. So it's not fair to take kids' stickers away if they're So I just – and I think people try and put too much on a chart. You know, they're, or they have very vague um, expectations. So you've got to be good this many days. What does good mean? <laughs> How do they have to be good? Well, that's, that's way too general. So I just think for the most part, we leave them unless there's one specific behavior that you just want to reward. Mm-hmm. So the reward chart is is a tool that that is valuable and can work if if the person understands how rewards work and how reinforcements work, um, which yes. which yes. is something they could find out. That's uh that's that's yeah. out there. But yeah, it definitely um yeah. definitely requires some consistency and some uh, understanding of when and where and why and how to, to give and take yeah. there. Absolutely. So you have a book coming out this year? It should be this year. Yeah? So it's a, with a publisher at the moment. Okay. So it's a, a children's book, picture book that, I'll, that I've written and I'll illustrate as well. So that's something that still has to happen as well. But um, it's helping children manage nightmares it's a technique that I've used for a long time in helping ch- children to uh, change the endings of their nightmares. Interesting. And being able to, yeah. So giving them, again, giving kids some control over things and not just feeling just overwhelmed and scared. So, um, yeah, we just, I, it, the book goes into how dreams are just like movies in your head and you are the director and you can change the ending of your dreams. So that's the book's called Dream Director. Dream Director. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what ages are you imagining getting their hands on that book and helping? Well, probably primary school age, but um, it could be used for older. It's a technique that's actually been used for a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder so it's just it's learning to just change those dreams so that you can then go back to sleep so it could be used for anyone really but it's mainly aimed at young sort of primary school age kids very curious is this like (laughs) is this a kind of a self-authoring um journaling practice or is this something that you do right right in the bed there can be done in the bed, yeah. So, um, so when a child wakes up and they've had um, a nightmare, you can say, okay, let's. What can we do? What What can we change this to? And try, you try and make it funny, and um, it, it then just changes their thinking from being scared to being. If you change it to something really funny, then it can change the way they think. 
about that dream. And it usually helps them then go back to sleep. You can do it the next day. You can do it whenever. But, um, yeah, you can't do it as, as soon as it's happened as well. And hopefully the child then learns to be able to do it themselves. So kind of like reframing or, or even distorting, deliberately yeah. distorting the, the scary image into something yes. less, less frightening. Yes. All right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to trying that. <laughs> Where can we learn more about what you're up to and any events or any other products you might uh, have for us? Well, at this stage, uh, it's just the book coming out, but I do have a blog um, on my website, thetherapistparent.com. So there's a blog that I put out weekly and I try and just put in just those tips and tricks that um, you pick up as a therapist along the way. So a bit like the hand on the diaphragm um, or, you know, there's games that I use with kids to help them build empathy or um, uh, self-esteem building games. So they're things that, that I've learnt over the years because of my work, but there's no reason why a parent can't do them as well. So it's not supposed to replace seeing a therapist <clears throat> if, they, if they do need to long-term, but if for just a few ideas of some things that you could use to help, so with, it could be with difficulties with behaviour, it could be with self-esteem, it could be with empathy, it could be with social skills. Um, there's just a few little, little tips and tricks. Nice. <laughs> we'll check it out and we will put links to that and anything else we've discussed. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite resources that you hand out or find yourself um, directing people to most? Yeah, yeah. There's a few um, Australian ones that you may not know about. But, um, yeah, so there's a, a website called Innovative Resources. They have therapy tools. But, like I said, they're things that parents could use as well. So there's... Um, my favourite, they're uh, called the bears. So they're, they're cards with all different bears with different emotions. So they're really helpful for getting kids to recognise their feelings. So for young kids, um, you can ask them to show you how they feel rather than tell because they may not be able to tell you how they're feeling. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really good tool. Actually, I do think they have an app called the bears so you could do that on your phone okay <clears throat> cool um another uh psychologist over here dr justin colson has a, a website called happyfamilies.com.au he has a lot of there's he's written a lot of books but there's a lot of free resources on there as well that are really great there's a, he has a really good book called time out is not your only option so that's another Another one people could look at. Okay. All right. Put links to all that. Yeah. Any uh, any parting thoughts? Anything that you wish we talked about that we didn't get around to? Um. No, I think we covered everything. Great. I'm sure we I'm sure we could talk for hours, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you get on with your morning and, and me with my evening here. Yeah, have fun. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, thanks so much. Yeah, I did too. Thanks Jane. so much for your time. Thank you. All right, and everybody out there listening, we'll uh, catch you next time. Mm -hmm.